Hey everybody, welcome back to the PC Perspective Podcast. We're at episode 683. This is being recorded on June 29, 2022. I'm Sebastian Peake. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Brett Van Spronenberg. And I'm Kent Burgess. Yes, the entire podcasting team has assembled to mark this occasion, this uh, random Wednesday in the middle, or no, the end of June, the beginning of summer. Uh, other words, you can help support the site and podcast distribution by going to patreon.com slash PC per and become a patron of the PC per arts. And I'm going to throw it to Brett because we have Patreon update, don't we? Oh, definitely. There's this really, really great guy. I've never met him, but he's sort of a self-proclaimed great guy. His name's Pete. Really want to thank Pete for showing up on Patreon and throwing a few dollars into the till because it really helps keep the whole thing spinning around. But not only that, we've got uh, Dan, Dan Wally. He actually put his real name in there. Maybe his, maybe that's a. Maybe he didn't want uh, that right out loud. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't want to. It is to kind be, of two first names, so it, it might is, not be. It might, I was might thinking, be an alias. I was thinking it was an alias. It might have been made up. And uh, somebody who wants to be known as AKA, I didn't read his first his first and last name because he wrote AKA <gasps> Cookie. I'm not sure what that means, but thank you very much. Like Cookie Monster. Yeah, yeah. it could have been. Kind of. I don't know. And now we move to Laramie, Wyoming, where Josh will tell us about his lunch today. Hmm. The lunch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's the naughty. We've seen the naughty before. Mm-hmm. We've tasted the naughty. The naughty is good. Double patty. Uh, I, I put some extra veggies on there for some strange reason, but American cheese in there, bacon, fresh cut jalapenos with a spicy barbecue sauce. It all just comes together nicely. I wanted a little extra crunch, a little bit more you know, acid from the pickles and, and the tomato. And it all really, really came out today. It was, it was a wonderful burger. It filled me up. The fries were excellent. Um, sometimes that's not always the case, but this time they definitely were. So, you know, I'm, I'm not eating for 24 hours after this one. Again, intermittent fasting, whether I like it or not. <laughs> Is it fasting if you're still digesting? Ah, that's a good question. <laughs> well, they both end with ing, so they are <laughs> yeah, good enough for me. If, I, if I'm still eating it the next day, does that count? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I believe the entire process ends with ing. Hmm. Yes, yeah. most does. Indeed. How does it, it feel to be like the human, human version of the pit, the pit of Sarlacc? Our top story tonight has to be the brand new NVIDIA GPU. Now, we don't get to do this very often. A couple times a year, something really exciting happens in the, the land of GPUs. And lately, Intel Arc has been dominating the news because it's so exciting and their product is so compelling. But let's not talk about A380 again this week. Let's talk about GeForce GTX 1630, the device that begs the question, did they really have to put an X at the end of what is a GT product because hmm. let's just call this the successor to the GT 1030. And then it looks great. Yeah, it is. 
<clears throat> or maybe an RX 560. I mean, if you've got one of those, it's an upgrade. It, it is an upgrade over the 560, as we found looking at the Tech Power Up review. They had that day one. But forgetting all the sarcasm, this is a new graphics card. And it's the first new member of the GTX 16 series family in over three years. Can you believe? Well, I mean, not over three years because the 1650 Super came out later. But let's just... The GTX 1650 came out in April of 2019 at $149. So that was the lowest end GPU in the current lineup. And for three years, nothing. And finally, the long-rumored 1630 is here. There's a little problem here. The MSRP mm-hmm. of the 1650, mm-hmm. a three-year-old mm-hmm. part, was $149. You'd think in three years the price would have gone down, but of course, no, it's gone up because of events and, you know, capitalizing on those events. Even though I've I've heard the range for these new 1630s is between 149 and 200 when I saw the first listing on EVGA's website when I went off looking for an image of this thing, $200... For an EVGA GeForce GTX 1630 SC gaming. It has dual fans, which is vital for a board-powered, you know, 50-watt GPU. But uh, $200. Can we talk about the financing options? I did appreciate the fact that I can make low monthly payments for 12 months with a firm, not a sponsor. What, what else could we get for $17 a month? Either this graphics card or three cups of coffee. Okay, here's the 16 series specs comparison from NVIDIA's website. The 1650, let's just compare it to the GDDR6 version, because the 1630 does at least have GDDR6. That's something. You drop from 896 to 512 CUDA cores. Clock speeds are higher, so you get a 1785 megahertz boost clock. You have a standard memory configuration of 4 gigs, same as the 1650, but the memory interface drops from 128 to 64. So let's all laugh and point to this as the joke of a product that a lot of us were making out the RX 6500 XT to be. Hmm. But in head-to-head comparisons, the 6500 XT has the last laugh. Because uh, Tech Power Up reviewed the card. They have a Gainward Ghost version of it to review. There it is. Which is we. And let's just go to some game benchmarks. Something familiar. Uh, Let's look at Cyberpunk 2077. Okay, that's just mean. So GT 1030s only get you 5.4 frames per second with their settings. 1080. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, An RX 560 takes you up to 9.6. Not yet playable, though, I don't think. The Gainward GTX 1630 Ghost... 50% faster. It has double the memory, and it's, you look at that, 14.4 frames per second. Let's scroll up. The 6500 XT gives you 25.6 at the same settings. A 1060. Look at that RX 580. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) RX 580 is almost at 30 frames a second. Don't give up your 580s, people. No, and I don't even know why they do 1440 and 4K testing. That's just just insane for a just card. mean yeah. that's what it is but it was harder on them than it was on us i'll tell you that here's oh. far cry 6 1080 almost playable i would say yeah 26.3 frames per second and look at the uh 1030 it's 8.8 it doesn't have enough memory two gigabytes but a 1650 41 frames per second so uh 
if you can buy a 1650 somewhere near $200, why would you buy a 1630 for nearly the same price? I Because you see. bought a pre-built system, which came with NVIDIA's brand newest Let's video see, card. Exactly. <laughs> Dedicated hey, NVIDIA graphics. Check that 580 1650 again. Super is uh, at 52 frames. That 580, 52.8. Yeah. 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 You're, the 580 is the absolute workhorse 1080 graphics card. It, mm-hmm. It's. How Ever. long has it been since that launch? Five years? Six years? Four? Almost six. Five six. Years? I was going to say six. Wow. I six think five, six ish, yeah. Now we can keep looking at these. <sighs> but we laughed at Polaris. We thought that just yeah, we did. Not much jump up from Hawaii. Now, Polaris is certainly, again, they're the ones laughing. Look at it now. Yep. Okay. Somebody in the in the YouTube was like, look at the pile that is the RX 6400. I know Far Cry is like AMD optimized, but still, just looking at that chart again, the 6400, 41 frames per second. The 20, the 1630 is only getting 26. The 6400 is pretty much on par with a 1650. It depends on the test. So it, it's... And that's what we saw when we were talking about ARC last week. A 6400 and a 1650 are kind of trading blows with ARC A380 behind that in real games. And then here comes the 1630 budget option, and it's double the speed of a 1030. And that's about it. The 1030 was very slow, didn't have enough memory to play modern games. So, yeah, keep your five. Who's this product for? Who's this product for? Like Jeremy said, it's for those pre-builds. It's for half-height, board-powered solutions where you need to display half-height. I've not seen seen a single single one of those that has a that's half-height. I saw one. Last time you saw a half-height card, though, from like a newer generation, Mm -hmm. like it's just not really a thing. The the sixty-four hundred, there is a there are half-height. Okay. And I actually have a 1650 that's a half height. Um, there are some. But I, here's one from Gigabyte. One. Oh, there you go. Oh, a six. Okay. Yeah, I had not seen that. So you'll see these tiny dual fan, dual slot half height. I don't think you're going to. I would be surprised if we saw a single slot half height. But still, I mean, there there will be those who go out after this because. I mean, if you're looking at the very low budget end, for a long time, the 1030 was one of the more available cards before things kind of got back to normal-ish again. Did you and see that single-ended DVI connector on that uh, picture? Oh, I did. I'm, oh, I'm nice. jealous. I haven't seen one of those in a while. But yeah, nice. if you want connectivity, look at this. DVI, HDMI, DisplayPort. It, it's a productivity thing. I'm guessing it has HDMI 2.0. It's touring, so... Yeah, Pro- probably decent display support. So yeah, the 6500 yeah. 6, XT, it just continues to look better and better. It used to be, yeah, and, and we've talked about this before, ARM was much, much slower with the stuff that they would license and then actually get out. It would take about three years. They're doing that a whole lot faster now. It you know went down to two years, one year, and now it's uh, we're looking at, at a slightly less than a year before we see some of these first products on the stage. Now, again, they've reworked them pretty dramatically to get about you know fifteen percent 
better IPC, but that's in ISO of, of process technology. So if you were to compare a seven nanometer Cortex X3 to the X2, um, you're going to see about a 15% increase in IPC just from all the stuff. But once you then add in that these are going to be made on five nanometer and four nanometer, uh, they're going to have, you know, a faster, you know, core speed. And, um, you know, about, as they say in this, about 25% increase in, in performance. So the three CPUs we're talking about is the Cortex-X3, which is the unlimited ARM CPU. Uh, it only supports ARCHV9. Uh, so it's only 64-bit. Previous to 32-bit ARM, um, you know, based uh, applications, they will no longer run on this. Uh, and that's going to be the same for the Cortex A715. And ARM does a tremendous amount of research. And obviously, because they, they license their products out, I mean, they, by definition, have to do a lot of this research. And they have partners that send them a lot of data about the applications that are being used, performance in these applications, where these applications would really, you know, uh, see some improvements. Uh, because on the mobile space, when you're playing games or running any kind of application, you don't care so much about performance as you do kind of the experience. Uh, if it's choppy, it's it's not fun. If it takes a while to load up, you get frustrated. And so even though they, they have increased overall performance in a lot of these, you know, spec benchmarks and Geekbench and all these others, they're really focused on, on the applications. And so by doing things like only supporting 64-bit apps, uh, their decode units are are much smaller and much simpler. And um, this is a, a positive thing because they can then put those other transistors into other areas and, you know, kind of adjust the TDP of the parts and, and how much power gets sent to wherever. And you can actually do more decode units. You can go from five to six or four to five, depending on, on which product it is. Uh, well, not for this, we're talking wide, not individual decoders. So anyway, um, so we've got the X3. That's the top end. That's going to be probably sub 25 watt. But those are the things that you're going to see in more upcoming uh, ARM-based laptops that will run Windows. The uh, Cortex-A. 715 is, is kind of the mainstream of uh, these. It has a lot of the same advancements as the X3, but it is, you know, kind of be kind of the, the workhorse of, of the big little world. I mean, you may have one Cortex X3 and then three Cortex uh, A715s and then the slightly revamped A510, which are the efficiency cores. And what they've done to those is they've kind of adjusted the uh, the IO, I guess, or well, not, it's not really IO, but how it connects to uh, the DSU, which connects all the cores together and also increased uh, efficiency by about 5%. Didn't really increase performance. Um, so, Another interesting thing is, uh, like I mentioned, the DSU-110 has also been revamped. So now they support up to 12 cores per kind of cluster. It used to be just eight. But, you know, they've, they've done the simulations, they've, they've done the work, and, you know, they've kind of beefed up this DSU-110. 
and it now supports up to 12 cores and they just see you know a nice linear increase in performance uh, when you add more cores across you know certain applications and uh, it's not getting shut down in terms of uh, you know memory bandwidth you know not not having enough you know data but um, they've also you know they've also found that like having larger l2 core uh, l2 caches throughout uh, increases performance and actually lowers uh, power consumption because you're not flipping off data into the L3 victim cache all the time. Uh, it gets to stay in there. You get fewer cache misses, all these other things. So, you know, they, they, they innovated and they iterated from the previous generation to now. And so it isn't a massive jump, but it's still a significant jump because once you start figuring in, you know, five nanometer, four nanometer production, uh, the IPC improvements, um, just better application support, you know, focusing in on 64 bit applications and AAR 64. A lot of these things come together to make these, you know, a, a sizable jump in terms of overall performance and capabilities. Um, they've really done a nice job in, 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 really squeezing as much as they can out of these designs. And I, I'm not sure when the next generation stuff, uh, I mean, probably next year is going to be a brand new clean sheet core. I know that they kind of talked to us a little bit, but I don't have my notes in front of me right now. Uh, but, you know, they're still industry leading with these products. And we could probably expect to see, uh, like Huawei, uh, release some of their new stuff around the November, December timeframe uh, that will actually have these parts, um, which is nice for consumers. You get to see what's coming up. You get to see how much faster it is. And in a matter of, you know, six to eight months, uh, we'll see a proliferation of designs. So that's, uh, that's nice. And, and with the 12 cores, you're, you're going to see a variety. I mean, you can have, you know, in theory, four X3s, you know, four 715s and four five tens in, in, you know, just kind of a, maybe not a, you know, that something like that would be a higher TDP. Uh, but, you know, laptops are going to see the four X threes. You may even see more, maybe even up to eight, depending on, on what the partners decide to do. But the ability to do that is it's, it's totally in their court. They have the flexibility and in theory, you could go, 12 x3s um i don't know why you'd want to do that but who knows somebody might do it but i can see use cases for 444 or 48 um or even you know 12 of the five tens uh you could have some kind of small device that is just sipping power but but still can do a lot of uh, multi-threaded work tell us about the ray tracing yeah let's talk about the good stuff yeah mm. the molly the new, this is the, the fourth generation, I think, of the Valhall architecture. And we've got three new products, and they're actually pretty nifty. The, uh, the flagship GPU, there, there's a little bit of controversy about the name, Immortalis G715. That's, that's the top-end, totally redesigned, uh, from 10 to 16 cores can be included in there. Uh, also and my VBS hardware. name from 2001. What's that? Also my VBS name from 2001. Oh, wow. 
your G715. It sounds like that. I'm kidding. Yeah. Immortality. No. Um, and yeah, it includes ray tracing. Now, this is not a, you know, NVIDIA style ray tracer. Uh, it's a lot more simple just because these things are running, you know, at max uh, in a cell phone, you know, one to one and a half watts with the CPU kind of taking up the rest. And you're looking at sub three watt uh, uh, performance in, in, in a handheld. Um, so the ray tracing is, it's, it's, it's an option for developers. I mean, you always ask what comes first, chicken or the egg. And in this case, they needed hardware support for developers to actually start doing stuff. And so, uh, they showed off a couple of little, you know, tech demos of, of what the ray tracing can do. Um, when you look at, you know, on the PC side, when you've got a 400 watt, TDP graphics processor doing, you know, ray tracing. It looks pretty fantastic. Uh, these, you know, they, these are not at that level. Uh, they just simply can't. But uh, it is an option there for developers to use to, again, you know, optimize certain scenarios uh, to, you know, enhance your experience with uh, use of, of, of some ray tracing. Uh, so it is nice to have that, and it's only on the Immortalis. Uh, the G715 has all of the other um, updates, uh, like variable rate shading. Um, they've, they've totally redone uh, a lot of uh, the command processor. Um, much more bandwidth in between uh, the cores and memory. You know, everything... Just again, it's it's small improvements in multiple areas that really improve overall performance as a whole. Uh, so you know, the, it used to be you know, Molly was was kind of looked down upon a bit because Adreno was was the top end stuff uh, for graphics and, and imagination was out there, and they had uh, their products. But you know, Molly now is is their they're pretty much top dog when it comes to overall features and performance uh, in the ARM uh, marketplace. And uh, they're shipping something like 8 billion chips based on Molly a quarter, quarter a year. No, I think it's a year, which is still, you know, that's, that's, it's more than one chip per human being that lives on this planet. Uh, it's kind of crazy. So it's, it's, it's another, yeah, of course, you know, it's, it's 2X machine learning improvement. Again, we, we haven't seen a huge amount of uh, machine learning on, on handhelds, but there is some. And, uh, you know, every year uh, ARM really tries to advance uh, that capability. So, you know, you've got a three watt TDP thing that you point and do some image processing on and the machine learning AI works on that and does its magic for whatever application you're using it on, whether it's you're pointing it at your face and suddenly you've got Vulcan ears and sunglasses and all that other fun stuff that, that um, these people do. I don't, but others do. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Immortalis will be the kind of, uh, it'll be the, the GeForce branding or the Radeon branding uh, for a top end um, 
graphics. So the very top end will be Immortalis, and next year maybe the G720. I don't know. We haven't been talked about that, but the name will live on. Immortal. Here's that demo, by the way. Yeah. Oh, look at the lighting. But for what is technically going to be a graphics uh, chip in your cell phone, Hmm. I mean, come on. That was short. Yeah. They've got to do it. And they're doing it in a way that makes sense for their marketplace. And uh, you're not going to see any fully path traced games on mobile, but eventually we're going to get there. And these are the first first few basic steps. They've, you know, they talked about how they, they shoot rays through triangles and spaces and, and uh, how they kind of optimize a lot of that so that it, you know, it, it, it does a it does a lot of shortcuts. Uh, I shouldn't say that, but maybe I should. I don't know. But it's 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 a different way of doing things to make it more efficient, but still get the results that you're kind of looking for without having to you know do chug and chug and chug with your your ray tracer because you're shooting out a million rays and and uh, you've got complex landscapes to uh, to intersect. So yeah, it's again uh, the 715 uh, G715 is is going to be a reasonable performer. It's going to be up to I think eight cores or nine cores, and then the uh, the lowest one uh, will of course be you know just a couple and the very lowest end offering. But it still has things like variable rate shading and the better ML performance and and all of this. So, I mean. Something like they figured out 53% of worldwide gaming is cell phones. And the majority of that is in China. People are hmm. using their phones and tablets for more gaming than um, PC and console gamers combined. So it's yeah. it's an area. And if you've ever played any mobile phone games, you realize that there's a lot of microtransactions involved and there's... Uh, good reason why people are developing for it it's 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 a lot of money so yeah that was the uh those were the the main primary big announcements from arm they're they're uh you know gonna go and release probably an ipo here in the next year uh they are releasing their quarterly results which is again nice to see uh they haven't really shrunk much i mean they have let some people go after um the softbank as kind of you know divesting them and the whole nvidia thing fell through um but they're still making good money and they're still investing in design and i think i asked them it's like you know what are you guys doing for in terms of software and they say well essentially half the company is working on the software and that means you know compilers and app support and drivers and all of these things that make the arm world work and that includes stuff like you know hey we're, we, we've got to really step up in terms of our platform for machine learning ai because people are going to need these you know sub five watt products to do some basic machine learning whether you know and, and, and that ties into automotive and it ties into sensor fusion and all of these things and software makes the world go round i mean even as much, if not more so, than than hardware. 
Uh, you can have the greatest chip ever. If you don't have the software to support it, then it doesn't matter. Uh, so that's one area that, that ARM is really focusing on. And uh, we've, we've seen leaps and bounds in the past few years in terms of their support and uh, what they're offering the marketplace. Windows 11, now with Wi-Fi hotspots and ARM support again. Um, yeah. Everyone's ARM. favorite beta test. Windows on ARM. It's back. Totally well, not a beta. It, it was <laughs> there. And then they sort of put out a patch, uh, a certain KB5014697, where all of a sudden any ARM-based system just really couldn't talk to Azure Active Directory anymore, which, you know, if your company invests in a bunch of low-cost, you know, multi-portable ARM-based surfaces or other types, this presents a bit of a problem, and Microsoft really didn't have a fix until earlier this week, other than, well, if you can figure out how to roll back the patch, because now that we don't actually label them as KBs, it actually, you, you got to do this, 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 and this before you can do it. Uh, well, they finally fixed that. So yeah, the uh, various corporations that bought these devices are now actually able to, you know, log into them again which is kind of nice. Uh, it also, and this is one of the better patches that's come out in a while, unbroke a lot of .NET Framework 3.5 apps because, you know, Microsoft doesn't have a lot of compatibility with .NET. It takes a lot of work for them to get back into being compatible with their own... Wait a second here. Uh, again, it was just utterly borked, and they're still actually testing because there are still some people that uh, have been having .NET applications that still are not working at all. And the other wonderfully laughable thing was that if we installed this, not only because you, you don't use ARM, you don't use .NET, you know, it, that's, that's, that's for the other people. I'm fine. Why doesn't my Wi-Fi work? Why, why can't, why, 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 why is there no hotspot? Why is it just gone? This, this, this makes me sad. And well, now that's come back as well. So yeah, if you've been, you know, without Wi-Fi and or login since June 14th, congratulations. If you can find a network connection on your ARM process, on your ARM-based laptop, which doesn't have a uh, actual Ethernet jack in it, to be able to connect to get the update, then yeah, you can get your Wi-Fi back and log back into your business. I it, it almost makes Windows 8 look good sometimes, but no, then I remember Windows 8. And, it, it, it was actually kind of worse. Oh, speaking oh, of the, Windows 8, great transition. Next, yeah, next brief mention. Next year, it gone. Microsoft sort of. prepares to forget about Windows 8.1 with end of support notifications, writes mm -hmm. Tom Warren at The Verge. It's it's really not even end of support. I don't, Jeremy, I don't know if you had a chance to read well, the article. Notifications. Well, b basically their suggestion is because most of the machines aren't suitable for Windows 11, you're going to just have to throw that machine away. That hardware is done, done, done. Didn't we do that for a lot of Windows 10 machines that didn't have the <laughs> T10 chip on them? Uh, I, I suppose you're right there, but do I hear Linux calling? Linux? Is Linux calling? Yeah, you know what? <laughs> That's just my, my thought. And 2023 is going to be the year of Linux. It's finally going to happen. <laughs> There's so much hardware that's getting thrown away. Let's pause here for a word from our podcast sponsor this week. 
We've all had those days where nothing has gone quite right and our brains just aren't working at 100%. The last thing we want to do is answer that same customer question for the 20th time today while still sounding friendly and personable. What if your communications can always come off as a ray of sunshine, even on your toughest days? Things like your common customer responses, calendar invite links, or asking for more information can all be expanded with just a few keystrokes. Bam! Enter Text Expander. You can access what you type the most just by typing a few keystrokes, which means you can communicate way better, even on your worst days. Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations streamline your team's work, so all you have to do is type a short abbreviation and Text Expander does the rest of the work for you. Text Expander helps drive faster results for customer support, sales, recruiting, engineering, or operations. Here's how it works build and collect your most commonly used emails, phrases, and messaging, and more right within Text Expander. Add things like today's date, fill in the blank fields, timestamps, and more to make content feel more personalized. Then expand it. Deploy the content you need with just a few keystrokes on any device across any app you use. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. It's that easy. Check out Text Expander and have a customer-facing happy face no matter your mood. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. So visit TextExpander.com slash PCPer to learn more. That's TextExpander.com slash PCPer. Let's briefly look at this story that somebody put on the list. Geekum. Geekom? Geekom? Geek-um? I don't know. It's the, the mini, mini IT8? Yeah. Looks like a nook. Or a nook. It does, doesn't it? Like to pronounce it. it looks what like it's just not? a stock Intel one. And it's like exactly the same design, pretty much. What does this have you know, in it? I mean, well, it comes complete with uh, an i5-8259U, which has the old Iris 655 in it. Okay. 16 gigs of RAM and a 512 gig PCI NVMS SD. With the ability to double that to 32 gigs of RAM and add an extra two and a half inch drive to it. But the thing is, it's ridiculously affordable. Really? 450 bucks, right out of the box. Uh, when you're it's going with one of the nicer nooks of the Levas, they tend to go north of that and don't come with some of that. So I thought this was interesting. That it's, you know, sort of a new, at least to me, company in this, this sort of market. And that it's tiny. It's got good stuff inside of it and literally running straight out of the box. Now, the other nice thing was that even under full load, it was uh, 46 dBA, so perfect for mounting on a Visa behind your machine or behind your monitor. 46. And, well, it's under full load. And the other thing that they did was they clocked. Uh, they actually put uh, DDR4 3200 in it, but it's running at 2400. Hmm. So huh. again, you know, thermal constraints in such a small little spot. But I kind of like the idea that there is some competition in the these tiny little things because when the Nuke first came out, I mean, they were awesome, but they were also atom powered and technically overpriced for what they could actually do. Leva helped a lot, but they've gone a little bit more expensive. And if that's the way you want to go, go for it. This is a nice little middle ground. And also the fact that you open it up and you throw an SD card with uh, Linux in it and away you go. You're done. It works. All right, let's talk about 7-Zip. And <laughs> this is Jeremy shenanigans. I could just tell you were right. So oh, I didn't start this fight. Apparently no, this fight started over a decade ago and someone just stumbled onto it. But this was too bloody funny not to post because, I mean, I bet you I'm not the only one on this podcast that has been using 7-Zip for, like, decades. Or mm-hmm. more because, it's the you standard. Know, You're not. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's got a benchmark in there. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Brothers yeah. program has a benchmark. Come on. Yeah. So there is a campaign on Reddit, which is apparently based off of a post from back at, like, 2010 about how 7-Zip cannot possibly be open source 
because it's not present on GitHub, GitLab, or any of the other of what they consider open source code hosting programs. So therefore it can't possibly be open source. So you can't support it. You know, they're, they're not a link to it. They're completely ignoring the fact that the open source initiatives definition of open source doesn't contain the word Git in it whatsoever anywhere. What did the, do the kids know this? Uh, apparently not. <laughs> uh, they're, they're also a little bit m upset because I mean, you can find it on SourceForge, but that, isn't one of the approved oh, of course open not. source sources for them for reasons that are obvious to at least one person on the internet, if not dozens. And it's a uh, limited GPL license that they put it out with. Not the full, not the full uh, license, but it's the lesser GPL because it can actually translate WinRAR. Uh, on the Unrar library, you do actually sort of have to have a license for, or at least promise not to let people play with. So yeah, it's got a GNU lesser GPL. And for this reason, and the fact that, you know, obviously it isn't open source because NanoZip doesn't exist, uh, which is a complete and utter fork of 7-Zip that happened five or six years ago. Yeah, it, it's it's just no. Igor Pavlov is totally not free and open source, and you need to get rid of Seven Zip, especially because it once or twice had vulnerabilities in it. Oh, really? For all of these wow. incredibly reasonable arguments, you should just abandon what is essentially hmm. one of the best. You know, not <laughs> even the Linux kernel has ever had vulnerabilities. Not even. No, I know it's crazy, right? <laughs> Weird. Yeah, but you're underestimating how sanctimonious certain people can be about yeah. how pure the code base <coughs> Apple is. User. <clears throat> no, yeah. they don't. Uh -oh. Apple users no, no, are generally no. too <laughs> ignorant to even understand any of what we're talking about. Right they, now. They're not sure that there's code on their computer. In fact, they would argue with you about that. <laughs> I don't, I don't code, but I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a creator and I vlog. <laughs> That's where I keep And I, I write, I write, I, I'm writing a script right, right now. On my MacBook. What do you mean a tarball? I don't know what that I make, is. I make graphics. I don't know what's in it, but it's like I'm really wrong. fast and it like does everything that like right. I need. And it, I vlog. I love it's, it. It handles my vlogs. It has amazing battery life because <laughs> I don't do anything <laughs> useful on it. So it, you know, the CPU is always at idle. We're going to talk through some gaming quick hits. Only a couple this week. The first one. Something called Spell Force, something or other. Jeremy, please. Oh, God, you linked to this. Uh, yeah. Spell Force has been uh, actually a fairly long running turn based series. Uh, you know, sort of like if, if, if you're familiar with Age of Wonders, Heroes of Might and Magic, anything like that. Although in the previous ones, it was more about taking over various parts of a world and shifting on after you've done them. This one's a little different. You're, you're playing uh, essentially an apprentice who inherits a tower from their deceased mage master. And so, of course, as you do when you inherit a uh, mage tower, you proceed to take over the world. And so you're never really involved in any battles. Like your big hero, you're in a god game, is never actually involved. You just sit around in your tower and do research and um, maybe have some nice organic coffee. But the one interesting thing that I don't know if it's going to work 
well or not is that instead of just recruiting a hero and go, yay, I've got equipment to dump on you, I've got stats to give you, and away you go to do my bidding. Apparently when you hire the hero, they don't work for free. They need you to do something for them too. And if you don't, they'll piss off and probably with whatever army that they have at the, the particular time. So it's more of an RPG mixed into the uh, 4X turn-based fantasy game, which is not something that's been done effectively at all, really. Uh, there, there's been a few that have been sort of interesting, but they end up being more party-based, and then you've got other NPCs that you send out to do stuff. In this case, all of them sort of have that, and they've got quests to you need to fulfill, or else they're going to leave you. And uh, a bunch of... Uh, they, they mentioned something like... 600 fully written quests to encounter as you're bopping around the world, which hopefully they mean more than, okay, well, you've encountered a tower, you go in and you defeat things. Oh, spend three turns to research this. And then you can fight another thing in another two turns. And so it's, it's hard to say. Uh, they've been around for a long time. Uh, they've stuck with pretty much the same designers throughout it. So they're quite experienced at what they do. And if you like that sort of 4X type uh, fantasy, it, at worst, it's not going to be bad. I don't know if the new ideas are going to work out so well, but uh, we'll see in a while. Now, Fallout London is far more interesting. Oh, definitely. I so, cannot like, wait to visit London in the apocalypse. It's really been a yeah, dream of mine. In Fallout 4, because that's the problem, <laughs> is that most of the mods we've had have been Fallout New Vegas and have suffered for it because they've been add-ons to Fallout New Vegas. you got to chew through a bunch of New Vegas again to get to wherever it is, and generally they've been kind of disappointing. The trailers for this one have been impressive. Uh, the brand new one that they just dropped has a war elephant in it, which you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to because, you know, mutant war elephant, just that's, that's right up my alley, and I really want to ride that one around London and just see what I can do with it. Uh, there's a lot more knights and swords, uh, sword fighting as opposed to, uh, you know, your, your burner swords, your uh, power fists. Uh, there shouldn't be any death claws because, well, that particular lizard it descended from wasn't in England, although the hedgehogs might be mutated and be wanting to take some revenge from people not taking care of them. But as far as a full, full conversion goes, play the video. It looks gorgeous. And these guys have a release date next year. Uh, the other one is Fallout Cascadia, which is also Fallout 4, but in Seattle and the rest of Cascadia, which it may be released at some point. That's sort of the only other one that uh, looks really interesting. But these London guys announced it about a year ago today and are pretty much announcing a launch about a year from now. So it's not bad at all. And it's <coughs> going to be nice to see Fallout 4 with the annoyance. I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, London locations should be fun. And these guys have spent what seems to be the appropriate amount of time on fleshing out their world. And, yeah, and they haven't gone overboard. Fallout 4 base. pretty damn good, actually. Yep. Yeah, they've spent a quality amount of time on this. It's time for Security Corner here on the podcast. Uh, I'm not even going to attempt this one. Jeremy, you have to talk more. What is and, this, Jeremy? Oh, this is a nasty one. It's been floating around for probably two years now and has only just been sort of spotted recently. It's a purely MIPS uh, 
driven thing. So it infects your routers. But what they've spotted is literally 80 different models of router from about five or six different companies. You know, all the Linksys, uh, Cisco, D-Link, all the, the popular ones. And what this nastier thing does is it sits on your router and it will intercept uh, your DNS or your HTTP and redirect you to a site of their choosing that, you know, looks exactly like the one you wanted to go to. And from there, in fact, whatever it can find on your network. And it is smart enough to go and do uh, an inventory on your network to know exactly what is being touched. So sort of sounds just like your nasty Trojan. This is the problem is it's actually been obfuscated for, like I say, several years before anyone friggin' spotted it. Uh, the control servers that it connects to, they still haven't been able to find because they're being distributed through a bunch of different virtual machines, which are running virtual uh, networking on them. Some of them are up here in Canada. Uh, there, were, there were a couple over in Korea as well. And so they're still trying to track down what it's talking to. But when you're looking at three pieces of malware, two of which for MIPS, which scratch written, like there's no DNA that they can say, oh, it's been evolved from this code or it it looks a bit like this Trojan, but it's different. No, these are brand new. So there's obviously some sort of state actor, someone with a ridiculous amount of money uh, that's behind this thing. The, the wonderful thing is that because it is essentially just creating a temporary folder on the actual router itself, it won't survive a reboot. So at this point, you might as well just set up some way to re bounce your modem like once a day, once a week, because you know it is a good thing. But the problem is that once it gets into a machine, well, rebooting your laptop isn't going to fix anything. Rebooting your desktop, you're still going to be infected. So they're, they're still working on trying to figure out what the heck is going on here. But all across North America and Europe, and it don't care what OS you're running. Uh, it's, it's, you know, those redirect pages are attacking everything. Um, so yeah, Zuorat. Yeah, I'll be right back. Zuari. I'm going to restart my router. Yeah, it might be a good idea. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeremy. Which which routers and or which firmware uh, of the routers are which susceptible ones here? What are the susceptible ones? It was 80 different ones. Oh boy. Yeah, I'm looking for a link. Cisco, too. Netgear, Asus, Draytech. Uh, we're just a short list. So it's 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 almost as nasty as Murray was. Like it's just it's everywhere, and they're still trying to figure out what the heck is going on here. More security depression. This is at TechCrunch. Security flaws in internet connected hot tubs. I know. Exposed a little bit more than wait no just expose the user's personal data. In of course in it's IoT. IoT yeah. is pain. Their private and, data. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The are there cameras the down there? Well, I don't know about cameras. You should probably. Skip Which the model did you buy? Who would have ever guessed that a smart tub <laughs> would have some kind of vulnerability down the road? I think that that's kind of the message to take away from this is trust no Internet of Thing. Right. You, know, it doesn't you don't, you don't want something it. that you're going to, you know, be sitting in possibly in the nude that's connected to the Internet at all times and then could be compromised. What if somebody like turns the heat up on you or I don't and, know. And that's and that's possible with this or changes the flow rate or changes when the, the whole thing 
gets cleaned or whatever. I mean, that's some of it. But what it really w- was about is your, some of your information was getting stolen, names, email addresses. Yeah, just the usual like stuff. Yeah, the usual. And they're actually in a state that has fairly strict third-party identity log uh, uh, restrictions on this. California has very close to uh, European laws on privacy and um, talking about breaches and making the users aware of when their uh, security or has been compromised or when their information has been stolen. And they've basically clammed up about this because why? Nobody knows. But this is uh, Jacuzzi and several other uh, third-party manufacturers that kind of traffic in the very same kind of thing. And the specific vulnerability was access to an administrative, multiple administrative pages that allowed an attacker to gain complete control of uh, your, your tub and anybody else's tub and your information. It was very apparently not that difficult to do. They were made aware of it. They're not talking. Kind of like, well, you know, uh, that wise not- old wives tale where if you toss a human into boiling water, he'll immediately jump out. (laughs) But if you slowly raise the temperature, he'll just boil to death without knowing it. Let's pause again for a word from a podcast sponsor this week. Hey, have you heard of Collide yet? Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. And if you're like many organizations, you know you can reach your employees on Slack. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point of unusability. Instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Visit collide.com slash pcper to check this out and sign up today. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash pcper. Use your email and get a free Collide gift bundle after trial activation. At Collide, they know the end users are IT admins' most significant untapped resources and they're key to solving the most challenging security issues, which include developers setting passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding those plain text two-factor backup codes, and teaching end users how to store them securely, and convincing employees to uninstall those evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. Those are just some of the many use cases not solved by simply locking down a device. You can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices, free for 14 days with no credit card required. Try it out now at collide.com slash pcper. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash PC per. We're back and we're going to talk about one of the least popular articles I've published in recent memory. It is a mini review of a processor that I actually had to buy myself. It was a Ryzen 7 5700G. And this was an idea I had before things started to stabilize. So I bought this a few months ago at what I thought was a good price because AMD, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not. AMD launched their flagship APU their processor with Radeon graphics for a whopping $359. And lest you argue that you're basically getting a full-on Ryzen 7 desktop processor plus graphics, it's a Ryzen mobile processor plus graphics. So this is essentially the same thing you'd have found in the 5000 series notebooks a year ago. So it's, uh, what is their code name for this? Seizen... Or something. How do you pronounce that? Cezanne. Cezanne. So it's Zen 3, but it's mobile Zen 3. So it has 16 megabytes of L3 in this one. I think it's 8 or 16 in Cezanne. That's half. Yeah. And yeah, so a desktop part would have had 32. 
But uh, we're talking about a 65-watt part, as we'd expect from an APU. But compared to the last retail iterations, and of course, they had to throw in a 4000 series retail. It's available right now just to screw me up. But prior to this launch, the high-end APU available was the 3400G. And when they launched that a couple years ago, had a price tag of $149. This thing comes out at $359, and you are getting Zen 3 cores. It's an 8-core, 16-thread part, which is actually quite good. I'll show a couple CPU benchmarks, but the graphics are Vega, and they're Vega 8. And that 3400G from a couple years ago was Vega 11. It had more compute units. The, The number denotes the number of CUs. Now, the clocks were lower. Clocks were a lot higher now. Bursts of up to 2 gigahertz on the GPU were possible with the 5700G, but it's still just 8 CUs. And, of course, you're limited to PCIe 3.0 for expansion because this is a mobile part. So uh, it's not all that exciting on paper. When I first saw the name, when they first announced it, I thought, finally, RDNA. And, of course, if you read the fine print it was like no radeon graphics well what radeon graphics turns out well the same radeon graphics is last generation just to give you hey, a have picture you seen, have you seen how well the the 58 or the 580 is holding up super yeah, well saying. but this is an okay. apu and people criticized or at least one person criticized me for not comparing it to other integrated solutions there's nothing in its class as bad as this is and if you're looking at the 3d mark fire strike chart on your screen right now I will describe it to you for the audio audience. 5700G with 3600 DDR4, I did not starve it for memory bandwidth, is still 4,500 points in Firestrike. And to put that into perspective, a 1050 Ti is 7,600. So a 1650 is 9,700 almost. So it's this is really low end. And... You move up to Time Spy, things tighten up a little bit, but still, it's at the bottom of the chart. And I I could have thrown an Intel iGPU on there to show, well, look at how much faster than Intel it is. But this is a part that AMD markets to gamers. They call this a great gaming solution. So if- It's your fault you couldn't find an Intel processor that did exactly the same thing as this. Yeah. So- For the same price. My my contention here was just looking at it from the desktop perspective, because I have not only known people, I helped people build systems with APUs last generation because it's so much cheaper to get into an AMD Ryzen system when it has graphics built in because you can, down the road, add a GPU. And I thought, you know, that this could be a good entry point, especially when I bought this, you couldn't buy GPUs. So it just made sense. And I think that's why AMD was able to price it the way they did. Because, hey, you want a Radeon GPU? Buy this APU for $359. But they have a cheaper one. It's $100 less. Six-core variant of it. That's the 5600G, the Ryzen 5 5600G. Which I don't have. I didn't buy that one. But just to give you an idea of what... uh, this integrated GPU looks like compared to the next one up, the 1050 Ti. I ran a couple extra tests here just to show you. Just It's 1080 low stuff, Far Cry 5, Cyberpunk. And it it's not half, it's half the performance in Far Cry 5, but it's actually pretty good in Cyberpunk. If you go low enough, like if you set the settings and resolution down low enough, this will match a 1050 Ti if you're gaming at 720 low. 
but I just I included the 1080 low results here. But let's talk about CPU performance because this is not a bad CPU. Here we look at Blender, render time. And as we've talked about before with the X3D, the 5800 X3D, it's a little bit slower in things that are just clock speed and core count dependent. So at the top of this list of the Ryzen 7s I had to test the 5800X, and then about a one minute slower than that, almost exactly, was the 5800X3D, because that is slower in Blender. And then another 34 seconds behind that was the 5700G. So absolutely fine for an APU to only be like half a minute slower in a render is very good. Here is Cinebench, again, fairly close to the X3D, except in multi but not too far behind there. And really, there are instances, of course, where the X3D is a lot faster because of it's all that cache. Even with lower clocks, it does better in like 7-zip. And here's an ancient benchmark that I still use, the X264 HD benchmark 5.0.164 bits. So not that bad. I mean, you're going to wait a little bit longer for these workloads to complete, but it, it has eight cores and 16 threads. So my thought was, okay, you get this, and then down the road you had a GPU. So I grabbed a fast GPU, one of the fastest I have, the 3080 Ti. And look at the scaling here. This is beautiful CPU scaling here. This is 1080 low GPU testing that scales like 50 frames per second from the 5700G to the 5800X, and then another 60 FPS from the X to the X3D. And it's basically the same picture if you look at Cyberpunk. It's pretty linear scaling with CPU when you're doing like 1080 load testing like this. So it it hurts to be on a 5700G when you add a discrete GPU later on. It won't hurt as much if you're not going this high end, but it's limited to PCIe 3. I don't think that really affected this that much because that's a by 16 card, but... Anyway, it's it's got lower clocks. It has less cash. And if it's $359, just forget it. Although, okay, the pricing thing, that's what I don't understand at all. When I started writing this up, it had a very different tone. I got really negative when I wrote when I finished it because I had been seeing sales as low as $200, $249 on this. I bought it at $309. It dropped almost immediately to $269. When I finally assembled everything and made the charts to go to publish... It was 359 everywhere. The only place I could find it for less was Micro Center, and that was in-store only. BestBuy.com, Newegg, Amazon, anywhere that had it. B&H Photo. It was 359 again. So I don't know if we were just in between sales or what. I have seen it lower, of course, today, now that this is actually published. But at 359 buy a 6500 XT and get yourself like a Ryzen 5 whatever in the $150, $160 range. Yeah. And for the same money, you've got yourself an infinitely better gaming system. So unless you have a need for, you know, a tiny system that'll fit in one of those little cases and you, you cannot use a discrete GPU, which there are absolutely use cases for that. To me, these don't make any sense. And if you are doing that and you don't plan on gaming on it, do you really need this kind of CPU performance, could you go with last gen if those are even available? 
Well, and AMD actually does have a last-gen part now, that retail. Because, you know, the 4000 series APUs were only OEM. There is a 4000 you can buy now. Uh, Microsoft's I mean, got it, the 5600X at 189 Wow, that's cheap. That's, yeah. that's worth it. I mean, it compares favorably, it looks like, at least at gl- first glance, the uh, graphics card we were talking about earlier. Let's move on to a case review from Kent Burgess. I can't believe you never reviewed a fractal case before. I can't believe you never built in a fractal case before. I've never built in a fractal it's case. It's insane. Uh, how? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I can't even count how many PCs I've built in the last 15 years, and I've never built in a fractal case. I've looked at buying several different models, but always went with something else for one reason or another. But I know that they've got a great reputation and they make some good cases. Um, and uh, so, yeah, this was a really interesting uh, new line from them that just dropped today, uh, the Pop series. Uh, there's 20 SKUs in this series. Um, the mid-tower version, just the the uh, Pop Air, which has the two 120s in the front, a uh, single 120 in the rear and accepts ATX motherboards um, is available in multiple colors, uh, colorways like you see there. Um, and these are really designed to be a, a quality case for a good budget. And this is this case and a lot of cases like the previous Fantex I reviewed are a byproduct of the market worldwide market we're in right now. Um, I mentioned in the review of the Fantex case that they had really sort of cut corners on the quality to meet the, uh, on the quality of the materials to meet the price point. Um, Fantex did a little bit of the same here, but this case is much sturdier built uh, than that Fantex case was. Um, they don't have quite as good of airflow as the Fantex case, um, and they're in roughly the same price point. But um, just as an example, uh, in November of 2020, I reviewed the Lian Lee Landcool 215, um, which was far and away a better case than any of these three, the, the, the two Fractals or the Fantex. And at the time, it sold for $69.99. That case is $110 now. Um, these two fractal cases are $90 for either the Mini or the uh, ATX model, just the Pop Air. Um, and they're good, they're good cases. They're sturdily built. Um, they flow very well. Um, the fans are RGB and they're addressable RGB, um, but they're not... They're not the best fans, but they're certainly not the worst fans I've ever seen come in a case. Um, if you're building, you know, just a basic build, you wouldn't need to replace these fans. Uh, if you were wanting to water cool, I don't know that I would recommend these cases. But if you were, you'd probably want to replace these fans. Um, a really interesting feature about these fans, and one that I know Mr. Walroth will be excited about, me too. Me too. Oh yeah. What? Yeah. Five and quarters. 
Five and a quarters. Yes, this. Uh, all of these cases in this model line have two five and a quarter inch bays in the front. And if you're worried about, you know, either looking old or just uh, of having the drives affect the aesthetics, you can just put the cover back on because they sit flush behind the cover. Um, What's the depth of with those bays? Because I've seen half depth five and a quarter for like fan controllers. Is it going far enough back to put in a DVD drive? If you were, if you remove the uh, two, three and a half inch uh, docks uh, behind those, yes, you can put full length uh, optical drives in. No problem. So if I want to do a retro build in here and I'm just using a compact flash card for the hard drive anyway, I get two five and a quarter inch bays. Yep. Now that is awesome. Yes. Um, uh, and you're not sacrificing any airflow with that. They still flow great. Um, that entire front is mesh. Um, it's, it's an, interesting density of mesh it's a little finer than most metal mesh you'll see but there's no dust filter behind it so you know you still get very good airflow through it um i honestly when i saw the photos of these uh, the colored models i was not super excited but when i unpacked this one the blue one it is uh, that color, and the photos don't capture it. It's a brilliant color. It's a brilliant blue. Um, you could make a really nice-looking custom build in this case if you wanted to do some color matching, if you wanted to do some limited uh, custom loop stuff. You could uh, get Primo Chill fittings that would match this color. Um, yeah, it would look fantastic. Um but yeah, I mean they're they're price point based. There's no rubber grommets, but the uh, angle that the pass throughs are, um, they really once you get a build in there, it's it doesn't look bad as long as you manage the cables correctly. Um, there is no Type C included. Again, they're doing that to uh, match the uh, meet a price point, um, but you can add it on. Uh, for 10 bucks. Uh, they just sell an accessory cable that just screws into the, uh, the circuit board underneath uh, the back plate. Um, and, but yeah, it's a, I, I was very happy with both of these cases. Um, they did well in my temperature testing. Um, the only issue I encountered with the temperature was the graphics card temperature on the mini and that was really because the card I use the card I use for my temperature testing is almost a full three slot card. Uh, Zotac calls it two and a half, but it's a it's essentially a three slot card. And in a uh, a micro ATX form factor, that really comes very close to the uh, power supply bay. So there's not a whole lot of space for air to move between the two. and But still, the temperatures were not unreasonable. It didn't come close to throttling. And, it, you know, and that was with the fans on the graphics card locked at 1,200 RPMs. If I had unlocked those, 
the graphics card fans would have spun faster and the temperature would have stayed much more under control. Um, but yeah, that, and I was actually very surprised at how sturdy and rigid the case structure is. Um, just about every case I've built in recently, aside from the, uh, the Lee and Lee 011 dynamic, I've had to do some, you know, like when mounting a graphics card, I've had to flex the rear panel a little bit to get the screw holes to line up or, or, or something along those lines. And it wasn't like that with either of these cases. You drop a graphics card in and the screw holes are lined up and you put the th- thumb screws in and you're good to go. Um, these cases were really a pleasure to build in. And I think that's the important thing is that you don't run into any problems with them. Looks like another example of why would you ever run with the fans wide open when... This is true. At, at 1,300 RPMs, these fans are far from quiet. Um, you drop them down to 1,000, they're much more manageable. Um, and the temperatures, the CPU temperatures didn't suffer much at all, uh, not, a, not enough of, to matter. And the GPU temperatures only fluctuated enough to matter on the Mini. And that, again, is because of that narrow gap between the uh, power supply basement cover and the, uh, the uh, graphics card fans. These are nice-looking cases, I think. That front grill almost has like a... It has a kind of honeycomb pattern, I guess, but it looks like a speaker grill more than a... Yes, it's, it's hexagonal, but they, uh, it was certain lighting. It almost looks like Qbert, if you remember that game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I, I actually, and the funny thing is that photo you were just on was a complete accident at how well it picked up the, uh, the uh, pattern in the grill. Yeah. It is a great it's photo. The, it's not easy yeah. to take photos of RGB anyway. And I think yeah. something about your backlighting, the way the camera was set up turned out very well. Happy Read the review. Uh, just uh, just to looking see the through the viewfinder. I could not see the, uh, the pattern in the hexagon or in the uh, front grill that well. And then when I pulled that photo up before I sent it in, it was like, Oh wow. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. <laughs> so final verdict gold. Uh, I've, you know, in, in this current market, you know, three years ago, I would have loved to see these cases at 60, $70, but in this market, these cases at $90, it's a steal. Um, they're well built. They flow well. Um, you won't have any trouble building in them. Uh, I ran into basically two problems, and one of them I realized that uh, Fractal had fixed it um, without me realizing the the, um, the top radiator in the blue build um, interfered with the IO IO on the uh, the IO cover on the motherboard. And after I took the photos and wrote that up, and just before I was getting ready to take pictures of the final build, I remembered that there were offset brackets included in both cases and popped those on and put the radiator back in and there was no more, uh, no more clearance issues. So, uh, hmm. yeah. 
Nice. Fractal fractal thought ahead of me. So it's always nice when you see little touches like that. They don't seem like a lot, but they do include yeah. usually all the hardware you're going to need for different applications. Let's move to picks of the week. Josh, please get us started. Okay. Yes. So it's another video card. And that's okay. Because this is the MSI RX 6600, not the 6600 XT. You think, oh, at $299, that's not a terrible deal. But then you look and it's like, oh, I, I can add $25 off. Oh, I get a $15 rebate card. So that's 40 bucks off of that $299. So now you're looking at $259. This performs significantly better than pretty much anything else in the $200 range. And... You know, I, I we're seeing more compression. What? Sixteen thirty. Sixteen thirty. Yeah, yeah. It's fifty, sixty dollars more in a sixteen thirty, and you will have significantly better results uh, from this one. So, yeah, it's nice to see that uh, the lower end, lower end under sub three hundred is is getting more compressed again. Which you know, it's still good for consumers. Just got to pick and choose. Jeremy, your pick this week. Yeah. So I, I finally realized that there is no way in heck that my 21-inch uh, uh, 1680 by 1050 Asus display is good for my eyes working at home. And so I was shopping around, and uh, Dell actually has a very decent deal on something that if you want to work and your eyes are starting to go, it's 27 inches with a nice separation between the, the base and the monitor itself so you can fit stuff underneath it or slide a laptop that can slide in nicely into it and uh canadian 210 bucks uh it's probably cheaper on dell.com uh it'll do up to 75 uh hertz refresh free sync i mean i'm not doing adaptive but there there is a nice little eye resting difference between uh barely scraping 60 and uh doing 75 hertz in a nice solid manner and yeah, you know, I'm I'm very happy with it. It's it's really nice. Uh, my remote desktops look lovely on it, and I can actually get them on one side and still have enough to be able to work on the other side. So, a gaming resolution gaming monitor? No. Uh, for a working monitor for eyes that are starting to get tired, it's a really nice 1080p display for really not much money at all. Something seems off here because I went to the U.S. site by just typing in ah! instead of CA. Two thirty nine for this. Order it from Canada. Yeah, that's ridiculous. No, it's brilliant. It's for you. It's it's probably them uh, extra import taxes you guys got. Mm-hmm. Maybe those mm-hmm. are some kind of Canadian exclusive thing. Like, just give they're Canadians. Just give them full HD. They don't know the difference. <laughs> we'll take the 1440 here for less well the 1440 for less then yeah buy it I was just looking for something that's big enough that when I'm sitting back I can still see it nice Brett your pick uh, if you can believe it I went to a local brewery this weekend mm. I know that might be a little bit hard to believe but mm. they had a special day going on there they had what they called game day which is a lot of board games a lot of card games it was hysterical and would you believe the longer I stayed there the better I got at all the games but one of the games that I first played when I got there was this card game called we haven't play tested this we didn't play test this 
at all. And it is freaking fun, even though some of the games end instantaneously. It is great to play with uh, two people, four people, six people. And this is with the this particular version is with the Chaos Pack that has some really crazy stuff and even blank cards, which you can write on in it. And for less than $13, it's amazing amount of entertainment for a group of people. Highly recommend. Well, how does this fun. stack up to like Cards Against Humanity? What's the... This is, you can play with the kids. You can definitely play with the kids with this. Oh, have you never played the uh, children's version of Cards Against Humanity? Which can't say that I have. I have. (laughs) It's uh, it's a lot of uh, fart and poop jokes. Oh, boy. I can imagine it is. Nice. This this really doesn't have a lot of the adult. Yeah. Yeah. Not that different. There's just a few less uh, evil things in it. But there's a few good games out there. This is one of them. I'm glad that you're discovering the world of uh, I'm, hipster I'm entertainment the, venues. I'm opening myself up to the possibility. Yeah. <laughs> of local brews and, you know. Like I said, I got better as the t- as the day went on. Yes. Kent. They usually do. Kent has a pick. <laughs> well, you know, if uh, Jeremy is worried about his eyes, then I suggest instead of... A uh, 24 inch or 27 inch, um, he might take a look at a 48 inch, 120 hertz OLED monitor that retails for 1500 that is currently selling for 800. I wonder who made Ooh. the panel that they're using. What a good question. Who makes a 48 inch OLED panel? Hmm. But it's Gigabyte, so. They probably, it's probably it's an LG panel. They're not crap. Of course, it's LG. They are the only ones who make the 48 inch 120 hertz OLED <laughs> panel for TVs. But Zenith, <laughs> RCA would never fit on my uh, table, though. Hey, with Zenith, the quality goes in before the name goes. Yeah, on. when I in. saw that price, I seriously looked at my desk yeah. and was like. I do not have space for that. Uh, this that looks ma- like the monitor, monitor measures 42 inches wide and my ultra wide is only 32. And yeah, it would block my speakers and I'm not doing that. Uh, this, monitor arm. Chat says monitor arm that. It's only VESA 300 by 300. Okay. That's a drawback Whoa. in my opinion. Yeah, that's a wall mount. Really? Yes, there's no 100 by 100 VESA on that. Hmm. Uh, you, I mean, you probably wouldn't want that for something still. this large. This is true. But yeah, there there are some decent uh, TV wall mount arms that you can use for a monitor. I've done that before. Like, you know, fully articulated. and. But still, I, it, I don't like the stand. The stand huh. looks cheap, but it's $799. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Briefly, I have an anti-pick. I was chuckling because Jeremy made mention of the fact that, you know, very soon we're going to be seeing listings for pre-built systems that feature, you know, powerful NVIDIA graphics. And you actually look, it's like a 1630. (laughs) So I went to Dell.com thinking, I'm going to find this. And the lowest GPU you can get right now is, unfortunately, from NVIDIA is a 1650 there. So then I just, I just, 
my eyes caught this for some reason. I, I said, hold on, this can't be right. That's how much? This is the current low-end Alienware Aurora desktop. It's the R13. We're at $1,300. Are you sure that's not a Dyson fan? $1,299. Well, it's a similar value to a Dyson fan. Because look at the specs. For $1,300, you're getting a PC with a 1650 Super. At least it's a Super, I guess. It has a Core i5-12400F. Oh. And 8 megabytes, one. Uh, 8 gigabytes of RAM via one DIMM. At to a, be fair, it's DDR5, but But it's still. the slowest... DDR5 imaginable. It's just one dim of 4400 DDR5. Eight. And the CAS latency is high. Probably. Yeah, very high. <laughs> sky high. And then you do get an SSD, a 256 gigabyte SSD. And then a some junk one terabyte SATA hard drive for storage. It's This is embarrassing. $1,300. This is like a Sebastian, $700 you know, PC at Costco. Do you know why that only has a 1650 in it because any other graphics card higher than that will overheat in that chassis on that depressing note that is our show for this week thank you for listening watching thank you for all of your support if you're one of our supporters and we will be back next week to do it all over again until then good night good night good night good night that was both a threat and a promise. Hmm. More of a threat. <laughs>